in the week. Oh, there we go. Thanks, brother. I can't do without him at work, and I can't do without him here on Sundays either. Well, it's good to end the last Sunday of 2020 with people I love and people I've been together with for a long time and, and do it in the presence of our Savior. So if you join me, let's pray before we get started. Father, uh, thank you for your word. I echo Michael's prayer that we should be a people of hope and joy. Pass that on. You're sovereign and good. And I ask that you would help uh, this message from your word. Be part of that. Lord, help us be encouraged. Give us hope. Let us think great thoughts of you, little thoughts of ourselves. Like Matt shared, Lord, open our eyes that we can see and hear from you. Apart from that, we won't get anything out of this. Please help us in your name. Amen. Well, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 18, verses 10 and 11, we are back into our series on Proverbs. While you're doing that, uh, I want to share a joke that came to mind around the name of the Lord. Now, here at Redeemer, we don't do jokes very often. I think Josh and Josh very seldom. They have good, dry senses of humor, but we don't do jokes very often like uh, some churches do. But this, this came to me, was reminded, uh, reminded me of what we we're going to be talking about. So, a robber breaks into a house while the residents are away. Eager to see what he can find, he quick, quickly starts looking through to try to figure out where the valuables are hidden. And while he's doing that, he hears out of nowhere, Jesus is watching you. He freezes. He's worried that maybe somebody came home and he doesn't move for a while. And, and then, then he kind of starts slowly going back into the silverware drawer where he was at. And then again, Jesus is watching you. He was a little confused. So he froze again. And then all of a sudden he saw over in a corner of the living room a cage with a parrot. And he, relief flooded over him and he said, um, are you the one who's been talking to me? And the parrot responds, yes. He couldn't believe it, but he was happy. And he said, he, then he asked him another question. Well, what's your name? Ishmael, the parrot says. And the man scoffed and says, what type of an owner names their parrot Ishmael? And he says, the same type of owner that names a Rottweiler Jesus. Um, well, Proverbs 18.10, hopefully you have it, have it in front of you now. Verse 11, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall only in his imagination. My sermon today is going to be in three parts for those of you who are taking notes. First part is going to be, who is the Lord? And we're going to unpack that a little bit. The second will be, what should we do about who the Lord is? And then finally, we'll have four application points. I'll just ask you, like Matt shared from Psalm 90 today, 
Uh, even if you're not taking notes, why don't you make it a practice of trying to take home at least one thing about God, some way to relate to God or to think differently about God from today's uh sermon, and then something about you, something you can apply to yourself, right? Just two points. If you get more, great, you're, a, you're an all-star, but, but try and get two points, right? So who, point one, who is the Lord, according to this passage? Well, Solomon, who wrote it, in just a few sentences, sentences gives us a kind of a word picture of who God is, and he ties it to his name. So he's given us his name, and then he's linking it with a, a something we can visualize a strong tower. We're familiar with the concept of names standing for something. Uh, For example, when I say these names, real quick, think about what comes to mind. Rockefellers, just for old folks like me. Uh, Steve Jobs, Gates, Elon Musk, Beyonce, LeBron, The Rock, Trump, so every one of those pictures, every one of those names conjures up some kind of emotion or thought in your mind, right? And um, some of them, like the Rockefellers, if you're my generation, you understand that's wealth and power and maybe philanthropy and standard oil and things like that. Um, Bill Gates might be, more recently, vaccination or something to do with that philanthropy or maybe Silicon Valley or Microsoft. For the Rock... What do you think of maybe the movies he's in, or like a big handsome guy, or or somebody funny? And then we won't we won't even get into Donald Trump. What comes to mind in that in in that case? But but names conjure up ideas and emotions and thoughts for us, right? They stir us and they and they um, uh, emote help us emote feelings. And Solomon's trying to do that with associating the name of God with an object, a strong tower or a fortress, if you will. In the New Testament, one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible is from John 18.1. I'm going to read it to you. After saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley with His disciples, and He entered into a grove of olive trees. Judas, the betrayer, knew this place because Jesus had often gone there with His disciples. And leading the priests and the Pharisees, and they'd given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany Him. Now with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove. Jesus fully realized all that was going on and what was going to happen to him. So he stepped forward and he says, Who are you looking for? He asked. Jesus the Nazarene, they replied. What he, what he, I love this. What did he say? I am he. He said his name. I am. Jesus who betrayed him was standing with them. And as Jesus said, I am he they all drew back and fell to the ground. Once more he asked them, Who are you looking for? All he did was say his name. And they fell to the ground. Now I, I, I find this an amazing passage and a puzzling passage, right? Because imagine you, if you're going to arrest or capture somebody, and you go up there, and he just says his name, and like everybody falls down to the ground. Like what kind of knucklehead goes on and still arrests him, right? And still takes him in, right? That's kind of crazy, the power when he just said his name, that people fell to the ground. That's what it's going to be like someday when we, when he see, when we see him face to face. But I love that passage. Um, um, and uh, thank you. So a name is important. It means something. It means something when, when Jesus said, I am. Um, 
The Bible gives many names for God and Jesus, and they all help us get a better idea of who He is. And the word that's translated strong tower in the ESV has a broad range of meanings. It can mean kind of a whole bunch of different things, but they're all sort of linked together. Like it could be a fortress, you know, strong tower, a fortress. It could be a refuge. It could kind of be a safe cave in the mountains. That's how David used the same word when he was hiding from Saul and the Philistines. It could be like a castle or somewhere high or just any safe place, or even a large rock that gives you that gives you safety up on high. And Solomon would have been very familiar with his father's writings in the Psalms, his father David. Psalm 46, here's how David talked about this same word, strong tower. He said, The Lord is my rock. He's my fortress, my deliverer, my God. Again, my rock in whom I take refuge. He's my shield. He's the horn of my salvation. He's my stronghold. Later, excuse me, in Psalm 62, he says, He, God alone, is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. These descriptive words for a strong tower in Proverbs and in the Psalms, they actually link God to Jesus, right? Because if you think about Solomon and David are on this side of the cross and they're looking forward and they only have like a vague idea of who the the second David would be or the second Adam or or who this refuge and rock would be. Us on the other side of the cross, we get to look back and we see who they meant and we see Jesus and Paul and, and the disciples calling Jesus a refuge and a rock. Um saying the same things about Jesus that Solomon was saying and David was saying about God. A refuge, a rock, a horn of salvation. They both describe God the Father and Jesus, our Savior King. A strong tower or a fortress is a metaphor for both. And obviously they're, they're one, one parts of a three-part Godhead. So what are the practical and real ways that Solomon wants us to see God and see Jesus in this metaphor? Well, there's a few. First of all, uh, he's visible. Both God and Jesus are visible to all. As I tried to think about uh, good examples that we might be able to relate to, I thought of the Rock of Gibraltar and the fort that's called the Rock Fort of Gibraltar. For those of you who don't know, Gibraltar is a 1,400-foot monolith of limestone uh, right on the Iberian, southern part of the Iberian pen, Peninsula that sort of uh, uh, stands over the little passageway between northern Africa and Europe. And in, in past days, anybody who went from Eastern Europe or Africa or Europe and wanted to go west or I- anywhere from sort of the cradle of civilization, they had to go right past the Rock of Gibraltar. And it kind of, you could see it from far away. And, and there was this fort up there. And it was safe. And they'd look for pirates. And they'd, um, they'd it kind of just cast a large um, shadow, if you would, over the, the Western world and the Eastern world. Um, Prudential, one of our big insurance companies, is called the Rock. It gets its name from the Rock of Gibraltar. Um, so um, God and Jesus are visible to every man through all time, even in the Old Testament. Not only is, is, is God our Father visible like a strong tower, 
um, but he protects like a fortress, right? You might think of Fort Knox would be an example. The one I chose as I thought about this was the Tower of London. Jody and I lived in London for several years, and we actually just lived literally within walking distance of the Tower of London. The Tower of London is 900 years old. It's a little fort tower type thing uh, in the middle of London. And you can go through and visit and kind of learn some historical things, but it protects about $6 billion worth of Queen Elizabeth's jewels. All the crown jewels are are there. Um, uh, maybe more than $6 billion, but it's a lot of, a lot of sort of history and British tradition um, and wealth that's protected by the, the Tower of London. Our God, our Savior, is like that. He protects what's valuable. He protects His people, right? It's given this idea that there's there's protection provided by this safe refuge, whether it's in the hills or in the fort or in the, or in the Tower of London. That's our God. That's our Jesus. He also provides security, um, as I was thinking of something that's fort-like that provides security, I thought about, for those of you who are fans of the Lord of the Rings, Helm's Deep. Um, Hornburg Fort is what it's called, right? And so if you remember, um, you can see that picture. If not, build the description in your mind. But but there's um, Saruman and the orcs and uh, everybody is kind of taking over Middle Earth. And the only safe place for man and elves and doors is this fortress that is fortress that's never been taken over before, right? It's secure. It's like hewn out of this granite cliff and it's really elaborate. And they all flee into it, right? So the, so the bad guys can't get them. It's secure. It's never been, in the history of Middle Earth, it's never been sieged successfully and taken over. And that's where they fled. A place of security. Again, that might be a modern way for us to see the security of God, our Father, and Jesus. And lastly, um, safety. Our God provides a fortress and a refuge and a strong tower to keep us safe. Um, I thought back in our history as a country of a of a, another fort that kept us safe. And if you remember in your history books, uh, the Plymouth Colonies, right? We had the first little town, I guess, in the in the in the soon to be U.S. And it was Plymouth, and it was like a little stockade. But what actually protected, if you remember uh, your history, which what actually protected Plymouth was Fort Hill. Do you remember that? And it was a little hill. There was a, there was a fort, and it was a little away from from Plymouth, but it looked it all over it. And they took all their cannons and they from their ships, and they put them up there, like five cannons up on this hill. And then from there, like if Indians came to Plymouth, they could they could blast them. It could give them protect them, provide safety, or they could see kind of a long way in any direction if wild animals or or whatever was was attacking Plymouth. It provided safety. That was another fort, another example that might help us picture our God who wants to give safety and protection to His people. Um, so, um, we have a God and a Savior that's visible and real that all men can see, that we can see, like the Rock of Gibraltar. He protects his people from attack and plunder, not unlike the Tower of London protects the crown jewels. And he allows for safety and security 
similarly are similar to Helm's Deep or the Hornburg Fort, as it's called, or even Fort Hill that overlooked Plymouth. These are these are concepts and ideas that God wants you to come away with when you think about Him. Psalm's trying to help do this, right? Through this metaphor of a strong tower. So, that's point one. Who is God as pictured in Proverbs 18.10? As Solomon depicts it, as David depicted it, as we in our own minds can, can, can see it, and as the Holy Spirit wants us to see and envision and imagine. So what we should, what should we do about it? Second point, what should we do in light of this God who's a strong tower? What should we do? Well, in this passage, if you look at it, there's really only one action verb in the whole passage. Kids and working on your grammar, you can see what is it? It's to run. It's the only action verb in the whole passage. The key idea isn't just to think about something or a strong tower or think about how God is a refuge, but to go into it. In fact, he's saying run to it or active. It's active and moving towards and in. Um, Think about uh, a fort. A fort can't really save you from anything if you're not in the walls or inside, right? I think history's littered with countless peasants and people like running to castles or running to forts and not getting there in time. And you, you see the moat going up and you don't make it and they get wiped out by the the attacking armies or whatever, the robbers or the bad guys. If you're not in a fort, it can't help you that much. you got to be in it. And it, not only do you need to be in it, but it's something proactive Solomon is suggesting. <clears throat> Think about this. It's a kind of a weird example. But what if, if Queen Elizabeth and Prince Charles had all their crown jewels, billions of dollars worth, and they put them in paper sacks, and they just set them in the street out in front of the London Tower, right? I mean, that's silly, but what would happen? People take it, right? They'd be stolen. They'd be gone. The idea of a strong tower is to protect it and for the things being protected to be in it and secure in it and to uh, avail their, themselves of the protection and the walls. Um, it's a silly illustration, but it kind of drives home the idea that the God and Jesus don't help people who don't avail themselves of the walls or of the protection or of the, the mercy offered by our Savior. We need to run in. We need to be active. Running into the fortress, not just being aware of it, is what saves us. Running into and being secure in Jesus, not just knowing who He is, saves us. Tim Keller has a good illustration. I've used it before, but it's super good. It's from one of his books. I don't remember which one. But uh, So envision like yourself. Uh, I know it's a little morbid, but, but envision you're at the edge of like the Grand Canyon and you slipped and fell off. And you got about a mile down below you, right? And the first thing you see in, as time slows down, as your life passes before your eyes, is a tree kind of sticking out of the edge of the cliff, right? And now... As you're going down and seeing that, you might have thoughts like, Oh, I wonder if that'll hold me up. Will I be too heavy? Is a tree strong enough? Oh, what's going to happen? Well, um, what's really all that matters? It's that you grab the tree. 
Because you can think anything you want, and if you don't grab the tree, you're going to fall to your death. But if you grab the tree, then it's up to the tree. It'll save you or not, right? And the idea is that it doesn't matter what you think while you're falling. It matters that you grab on. There's an action, right? And that's the same kind of, I think, uh, concept that Solomon's trying to help us with here. Like, a strong fort in and of itself doesn't save you. It's fleeing into it, right? It's taking advantage of the walls and the cannon and the guards that save you. There's an action involved. And, and even though God may initiate it, and He does initiate it, and He's responsible, and He does all the heavy lifting, we still have to do something. We have to respond. We have to get in to the security, the walls, the refuge, the safe place. Like when David fled into the mountains from Saul or stayed in the cave. He went somewhere. He did something. And then he was saved. It was like a shield. What saves us? The tower, but you've got to be in the tower. How do you get saved? You run into it, right? He says, what do the righteous do, right? And, and I think righteous is maybe another word we could put in modern day would be the, the believers, the followers of Christ. What do the followers of Christ do in this metaphor? They run into the fort. Who's in the fort? Believers. By implication, who's outside of the strong tower? The non-believers, right? And what happens? Not good things. The righteous run in and they are saved. So let's try and put together from this picture that Solomon's tried to paint or a metaphor of God and and what this um, fortress of God, this strong tower, this mighty fortress looks like and what we're called to do and how we're called to respond and what we need to do. We know we have a fortress. We know we have a refuge and a place of safety. We know who He is. We're called to find it and enjoy it. But here's a very important first application point for us. seems simple, but it's really, really relevant. There is no salvation or safety for those who aren't in the fort. Simple, right? But we need to understand that if we're outside of Christ, outside of God's wall or family or whatever picture you want to use that the Bible talks about, we need to understand there is no hope apart from Christ. There is no hope outside of the strong tower. There might seem like visions of hope on this earth, right? And whether it's maybe social justice or maybe even other things that you try and find and associate yourself with to um, give you hope. But, but the truth is, painted and spoken of throughout the Word, is there is no hope out of the stronghold of Jesus. None. Zero. Young people, I don't care what your school or your friends or the news or modern philosophy tells you, there is no hope apart from Jesus. That's a big takeaway. You don't build a castle with a moat if you don't need to be saved from something, right? Well, what do we need to be saved from? Here's just one passage. 1 Peter 5, 8. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour or destroy. Right? So just think about that simple concept. 
if there's nothing bad, why do we have to have a tower or a fortress in, this, in, the, in, the, in the world we live in, right? Throughout the history of man, there's always been fortresses and towers because there's bad things that happen. There's destruction. And I'm not just talking about physical destruction. This First Peter is talking about the destruction of your soul, eternal destruction. Jesus is the only antidote to the destruction of your soul. He's the only strong tower for all people, for all time. Apart from Jesus, we have no hope or salvation. Now, if you haven't decided to avail yourself of this strong tower, maybe you're a young person here today or watching on TV. If you haven't decided to avail yourself of this, do it now. There's no reason you can't do that. Talk to your mom and dad. Right? Talk to somebody you know. Avail yourself of, of Jesus and the strong tower. If you're an adult or a, uh, someone who's maybe heard many times the gospel, the good news, maybe, just remind yourself, be reminded that there is no hope outside of Jesus. And that it does take some active participation on your part to pursue Him, to run in. Figure out what that looks like for you. Maybe even today when we have communion, right? Either reiterate your conviction and desire to be in the strong tower. Or just thank God that you're there and what a great place of safety it is, right? Now is the time. There is no salvation apart from Christ. There is no hope for those outside the fort. Outside the walls, Jesus, Paul, or Peter said it, and it's said throughout Scripture, is destruction, physical and spiritual. So that's application point number one. Number two, Actively pursue the kingdom. Take up your cross. That's what Jesus says. That's active. It's not passive. Look, you don't like just accidentally meander and wander into a big fort, right? People don't make you go into a fort. You go in voluntarily. You take action. You need to love God with all our heart, our mind, and soul. Solomon says, hey, it's like running into a fort. Like if you ever... If you saw those people in, in Lord of the Rings who were fleeing the orcs, man, they were, they were going fast, right? Like, you know, they're, they're like running over each other to get there. The horses are, they're leaving stuff behind. There's, there's an active call to get into the fort, right? That's what Solomon's trying to inspire or remind us of or help us to think about for our own selves. It's an active verb. We need to be actively aware of moving towards God, of turning from the world, of seeking the shelter He offers, seeking Him with all our heart, mind, and soul. Like, think of the... Um, I was thinking of, like, in World War II in London when uh, the uh, German bombers would come, right? And then the sirens go off. Everybody dropped whatever they did, and they went to safety. They sought the shelter. Everybody in London had a place to go, right? Sellers... Subway, wherever it was, when they heard the siren call, they went and they found refuge and they stayed there till the bombing was over. And that's, you know, that's a little bit of like, of like what our lives here on earth should be like. Like we have a, a bit of a siren call, right? Our lives are short. We don't have much time here. Um, and Jesus calls us to be active, moving towards Him, being for Him, our hearts for Him. He calls us and He saves us, but He then asks us to be active. To be an active verb, if you will, in moving towards refuge and safety. Not unlike the 
Londoners did for a few years while they were being bombed. We need to see our life like that. Active. Getting in the fort and staying inside the walls. That's our second application point. Third application point is the only really part that I talk about verse 11 where it says a rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. So the application point three is don't be confused by the wrong fort. Don't run into the wrong fort, right? Don't go somewhere that doesn't help you because you're going to get wiped out. Um, the, The implication in those two linked words is that people, that's you and I, us, our world, will tend to think that money is a strong fort and that's the best thing you can have to help you and give you security and protection and, and safety. That's what the world says. That's what the, the enemy says to us and that's what's all around us, right? Well, Solomon, the wisest man ever, says, that's just in your imagination, dude. That don't help. And everybody's going to find out it eventually. You just don't want to find out when it's too late. When you're in the wrong fort and you get wiped out. Right? So application point three is don't be confused by going in the wrong fort. Go back to application point one. There's only one strong tower that can save. It's Jesus. Money probably isn't a bad thing, generally speaking, but it doesn't save you or anyone else. And in fact, when you think that, the implication is you're confused and it's in your imagination and you're going to find out pretty soon. It's like an illusion. That's point three. Don't be confused. could be even other things beside money. I think this points mainly to a man's wealth. But it could be a strong family or a Christian family or retirement or whatever it is that seems like something that can save you or help you. Um, don't go in that fort and look for protection. won't help. might seem like a strong tower. And our world will tell you there's lots of strong towers. And the world will tell you that Jesus is one strong tower among many, right? That's wrong. None of those will save or secure your soul. None of them are called a place of salvation. If you think about, Jesus talks about this in his parable, right? Of building your house on sand or a rock. Remember that? He says, what happens? You build a house. they, They both look alike. What happens? The one on sand eventually gets destroyed. And in that verse, it's like, whoa, that's really... Man, it seemed like such a great house and it's just utterly destroyed. And the one built on ro- the rock, or Jesus, stands and goes on forever, right? That's, the, that's the, another example of like going in the wrong fort or building the wrong house. My last and fourth application point is that... God, or the tower, the strong tower, does all the heavy lifting. He does all the work. We don't. But we do have to respond. Psychologists suggest that safety and security along with love are like the necessary things for a healthy childhood. What all kids need, what all people need. Right? And without a sense of security and safety, people don't have hope and they struggle in life. So kids who are, who are raised without like security, safety, and love, they have a hard time having hope and having a hard time. They struggle through life. Our strong tower offers us safety and security, and he does all the work, 
right? So like when you're inside um, Helm's Deep, you don't got to do anything. I mean, maybe some of the men were fighting on the walls, but the idea is that the walls cleft from granite are, are doing the work. That um, the strong tower is what takes care of you, right? The implication is that once you're inside, you're good. The main thing is to get inside and then benefit from the protection and the security of the strong tower. He does the heavy lifting. John 16, Jesus says, I've said these things to you that, that in me you'll have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Our Father does the work for us. He offers us peace and safety within His walls. Again, in Ephesians, a very uh, well-known verse to us all, Ephesians 2, For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this isn't any of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. It is His work to save and to secure. So, brothers and sisters, summary here. There is no salvation apart from Jesus. Simple but true. We need to drive that home. He is our mighty fortress. We need to incline our hearts and minds to Him and pursue Him in an active way. He calls us to be active in Him saving us. If that, I know it's sometimes convoluted, but that's what, it, that's what the Bible says. Old Testament, New Testament. He calls us, He saves us, but He calls us to be active. There should be a response to Him to get into the fortress, to, to be used by Him, to be saved. There is, a, there is an active element in our being saved by the strong tower. We can even do that and when you say, well, what do I have to do? Well, it can be lots of things. One simple thing can be today when we um, celebrate by eating his, eating the bread, which rep- represents his broken body and the blood, his shed blood for us. You can take some time to remind yourselves of what we just talked about, right? The, the strong tower and the necessity of Jesus and dwelling there and the active part that you need to play. This would be a good, that'd be a good active way. Just one simple takeaway from the day. You can do that. Everybody here can do that. If you're not a believer, you can repent and believe. If you are a believer, then come have communion and, and do it as part of the time before God. We also need to repent from seeking solace or looking for things in a false tower, a faulty tower. One that can be overthrown. So there's an element of repentance, right? That's natural for all of us to drink from empty cisterns or to go jump into forts that don't have any walls or don't work, right? That's just, that's what men do, men and women do. We need to repent from that, right? That's part of, part of what we need to do is not, not be satisfied with a faulty or wrong fort. So even now today, as we get ready to take communion together as a group of people who are protected and encapsulated in a strong tower, right? That's who we are as believers, not only here, but worldwide, but here it's us. As we get ready to do that, be reminded of the comfort 
in Jesus. The security He provides. Look at some of the passages I shared or some others. I'm going to share a few more. We need to find security and peace in our rock, the strong tower. Matthew 7 says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, he will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. This last passage, again, it's from David. A different psalm. Psalm 18. Familiar psalm. A really beautiful psalm. David says, and he's saying this to God, And for us to hear, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. If nothing else, meditate on Psalm 18. If you need something to be encouraged by. Those of those who are going to help us with communion want to come forward. Um, 